Welcome to Season 3 of Trying Our Best, a mother-daughter good place podcast. Welcome to spring, everybody. We're back. And I'm Michelle. And I'm still Ayla. And we're here today to talk to you about Season 3, Episode 7 of The Good Place. So where we left off, Eleanor was talking about how she had never loved anyone. And then Michael told her that in one of her memories that she had lost, she fell in love with Chidi. And Eleanor is like a little upset about this, that she never knew that she fell in love. So she wants Michael to give her her memories back so she can get some true evidence. Michael does that. He gives her her memories back, which is pretty hilarious. And she also gets to see not just her and Chidi falling in love, but also more about the experiments that Michael conducted on them and how cruel he was before he joined their side. Which, remember, she didn't know about before because this, since this reboot... They didn't really know what all Michael did to them because they figured it out just one week in. But Michael has tortured them over and over and over again. And even though now he's shown himself to be this trusted friend, showing the way that he used to behave was, he didn't want to do it. He was embarrassed to for her to find out about that. Well, that and that he wore these really weird cuffs on his sleeves. Yes, we all have some fashion choices. We would rather stay hidden from our friends, right? But this show is not about um, choosing the right fashion choices. It is about, um, well, this specific part is about how Chidi and Eleanor fell in love. They they showed that they would sacrifice things for each other and that they really cared for each other. And, well, they did all of that while they were supposed to be tortured, but they were actually having some fun being together. So one of the big parts of this episode is a discussion of determinism versus free will, and we're going to get into that. But before we do, Ayla, I'd like to ask you, because Eleanor is upset with Michael when he doesn't want to give her the memories back, and she says, those are my memories. You can't keep them from me. And I want to ask you what you think about that. Are memories yours? Do they belong to you? Can is it? Can you own them, so to speak, like you would a pair of shoes or a diary? So are your memories yours? Memories are complicated things. So our, 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 the memory part of our brains cannot hold all of the memories in your life, which is why you will forget things. And then those memories might no longer be yours. But you might remember those memories as you go on. And, well, I think that the memories are always yours and they should always belong to you because, well, they're personal and they're... They're yours, and they should belong to you, even if your brain's just going to push them out of your head again so that you can make room for more. This makes me think of a question that comes out up a lot for people who write memoir. So memoir is like a nonfiction book where you tell your own story about things that happened to you. But, you know, you don't exist by yourself hardly ever, right? Almost any time you tell a story about things that happened to you, you're also telling a story about somebody else. So you can hear the same root word in memoir and memory, right? Like your memoir is based off of your memories. But in some ways, they're also other people's memories. And the way that you remember something might not be the same way that they remember it. Because we know that memory is not stable, that our memories can change over time, that we can misremember things, that you might vividly remember 
remember that, you know, your favorite shirt was this color, but then you find a picture and it turns out it was a different color and your memory has tricked you. We know this from uh, people who have been witnesses at crimes have seen things that didn't happen, but they really truly believed that they saw them because their their brains played tricks on them. So it's really complicated what even a memory is because the story that we tell ourselves in our head doesn't always match onto something that really happened in real life. And two people could remember the same event with different perspectives and they could both be right. They could have both focused on something different and kind of made that piece of it a bigger part of the story than the other piece. And so I don't know, this question about whose memory is it is kind of complicated because it is Eleanor's memory, but it's also Chidi's memory. And at this point, it's been given back to Eleanor, but not Chidi. And so now Eleanor gets to take that story and play it over in her head and make meaning out of it. But Chidi doesn't get the same potential. And I think that it is more complicated than just whose memory does it or whose memory is this? So what what Janet did is um, she sort of wrote a what was it called like a a mem I already forgot it a mem a mem- mem- memoir yeah a memoir. Um, Janet kind of made a memoir, and that's how they were getting these memories. So from what I'm gathering, a memoir is sort of like a public diary, like. Okay, but Janet, that's a really good point. But the thing that Janet created wasn't so much a memoir as an exact recording, right? She just recorded like a movie, all of the things. But a memoir actually interprets those memories, right? It tells you, oh, so one time I have this memory of my dad being grumpy when he left for work in the morning. So I I made the interpretation that he didn't like getting up in the mornings. But maybe he wasn't grumpy about that at all. Like your interpretation that you put into the story might not actually be accurate, even if the event is accurate. And so what Janet has created is more of a record than a memoir. A memoir would be what story they tell after seeing those things. Okay, I think I understand now. One thing that this makes me think about is the question of whether it's okay to like write about um, you know, your memories when they involve someone else. And a lot of times people get hurt feelings when they see a story that involved them and that's not the way they remember it or they didn't want other people to put that out in public. And so um, there's a quote from the author Anne Lamont that says, you know, you can tell, I'm paraphrasing here, but you can tell your story, everything that happened to you is yours. If other people wanted to be remembered better, they should have behaved better. And I, and think there's some truth behind that sentiment that you get to tell the stories that happen to you but I think we also have to remember that people have stories of us that happened to them when we weren't at our best and when we weren't at our finest moments and so that maybe we need to kind of remember that as well that we want to be we want to be fair to people and not just show them at their worst moments because we've had our worst moments too and I feel like maybe that person just made some mistakes in the past and that they changed maybe they've like worked hard to become a better person but all you write in your memoir is just all of their bad moments yeah so I definitely think this question about memory and who they belong to and what stories we tell ourselves of them it's a complicated question and it's worth consideration especially if you are putting a story out to the public and anymore that's not just a memoir that gets published it's also the things we post on Facebook or the stories we tell there and I know that stuff comes up like um, if a parent is posting you know funny pictures of their kid well sure that that's part of the parent's story but it's also the kid's story and maybe you don't want that embarrassing photo of 
you up on the internet for all the world to see forever. And so there's been questions of like, should someone have to ask permission before they post someone else's picture online? And it's uh, there's a lot of questions about whose memories belong to who. Well, I just want to say that some kids might not know if their parents post things on the internet because they're not allowed on the internet, which I understand, but if you are a parent, you should probably ask your kid before you post things on the internet. But anyhow, I'm just going to wrap this up and then we can move on. Okay, so in the show, the big question of this episode is clearly determinism versus free will. Because after Eleanor sees all these memories, she says, I wasn't really in love with Chidi. You manipulated me into being in love with him, speaking to Michael. She says, you were just um, a demon puppet pulling the strings, and I didn't get any choice about how I felt or what I did because you had set up this experiment that I wasn't aware of, and I didn't have any choice about any of those things, so they weren't real emotions. And Michael argues with her and says, no, 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 no. You did things that I didn't want you to all of the time. You were always doing unexpected things. I I didn't have control over the whole thing. You were constantly ruining my plans and constantly figuring out that you were in the bad place. And so definitely not. You had free will. So the argument here is between determinism, the idea that you do not have free will, that everything you do has already been determined by something outside of your control. And some people have ascribed that religiously to like, the gods are in control or a god is in control. But even if you are not religious, there, some people think that your brain chemistry controls you, that every choice that you make is already determined by the neurons in your brain and that those were determined by your DNA or by experiences that you had as a child that you don't have any control over now. But in other words, that however you react to something was already kind of baked into you and you were destined to inter- to react that way, that you didn't have any control over it. And that's sort of a deterministic argument, whether it's religious or not religious. Um, and the free will argument says that that's not true, that we have choices and that we make those choices and that those choices change our outcomes and how we interact with the world around us. So what do you think, Ayla, in this debate between determinism and free will? Well, I, I really don't know. I mean, I... I I don't I don't know this kind of stuff yet. I haven't really been thinking about it because I'm only 10, but I just don't know if there's something around us that like controls our every move or something. But I I I believe in free will that people can make their own choices. I certainly think that most of us want to believe in free will, right? We want to think that our actions make a difference and that we're getting to choose what we do. And I mean, our whole podcast, our whole concept of trying your best, what is what does it mean to try if you don't have a free will anyway? So a lot of the things that we talk about are kind of predicated. They, they are depending on us believing that your actions make a difference and that you do have choices. But Eleanor kind of takes the opposite stance in this episode and she's using determinism as a kind of comfort and saying, yeah, I'm not responsible for anything that happened to me because it was all outside of my control. And by choosing to not believe in free will, however temporary that might have been, she was sort of giving herself a get out of jail free card, right, where she didn't have to be responsible for her own actions. And Michael's trying to explain to her that she does have free will, but 
Eleanor is too stubborn to accept this. And then Michael, he sort of, he sort of, he tries to snap her out of it by dumping some ice tea on her head and tells her that this is all a defense mechanism. She's, she's trying to use this as some, like, some, well, like you said, she's trying to use it as a way to escape her own actions. And, well, Michael is saying that she does have free will and that she did things that, um, that were her own choices. And he, he uses ice tea to snap her out of it. And that more or less works. Eleanor realizes that Michael is right, that she was falling back into old patterns of blaming everyone else around her and not taking responsibility for her own actions. And Michael reminds her that the, the work they're doing now of trying to help other people become better, that doesn't make any sense if they don't believe in free will. So their whole project would fall apart if they didn't believe in free will. So now they're headed off to a new idea in their project. But that still leaves Eleanor knowing that she once fell in love with Chidi and Chidi not knowing that. And she says at the end of that, as they're going off, she says something that I find really interesting, that if you think about it, they're the only truly free beings in the universe because they're the only ones who know what the afterlife actually holds. And so she's kind of making an argument there that in order to be truly free, in order to really make choices well, you have to have full knowledge. You have to have information about what's going to happen next. And you have to have a full view of the system. So that brings us to our question of the day. Do you have to know what's going to happen next or what's likely to happen next? You have to have a full view of the system in order to be truly free. So pause the podcast, think about it, talk about it, maybe even write about it, and then come back. So welcome back, everybody. I I honestly, I don't know if I agree with her, but I don't know. That might just be my defense me- mechanism because I I don't know what, what comes in the future. I don't know all the answers. So maybe that's just me saying that, that I do have free will, even though I don't know all the answers and I don't know everything. That's a really good point. And the thing that this makes me think about is that if the argument is that you have to have perfect knowledge, you have to know what's going to come next and and what's going to happen in order to have free will, that that would ultimately mean that nobody else could have free will because they have to be unpredictable in order for them to have free will, right? Because maybe you're going to dump a cup of iced tea on my head right now, Ayla. And if I know what's coming next, then your actions would have to already be determined. So I think in order for there to be true free will, where people can do unexpected things and take stances that we don't expect them to and do things outside of their norm and change their minds and change their behavior, we have to accept a little bit of chaos and know that we can't just say, oh, well, so-and-so is this kind of person, so we know exactly how they're going to act. We have to be willing to say, this person might surprise me. This person might do something that I never saw coming. And that means that we can't have perfect knowledge. We can't 
predict the future or what's going to happen. Even if we do have a pretty good idea based on the past, there's always that possibility that we'll be thrown for a loop. Meanwhile, the demons have been working hard on their own plan. They have built an illegal portal down to Earth. And they're all coming through it. So tune in next week or you will never know what happens. You'll never know. It'll just be an infinite cliffhanger that goes on forever.